Well, good morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I know we're going to tweak the seating and kind of get used to how we can do the setup. And they still have work to do in here. So we'll we'll grow into it. We're, we're just thankful we're in our new place and or a new area, I guess you can call it. But God has been good and faithful and and uh, we just want to honor him and praise him. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, which is um, it's Christmas time. So we're going to look at some Christmas verses. And uh, thank you for the wonderful worship, Nick, and the rest of the team. And Matthew 2. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah." For out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now, after hearing hearing the king, they went their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. Now, we have, a lot of us have heard the story probably of single Christmas, you know. We sing the song, you know, We three kings of Orient are. I can't sing very well. Da 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 da. You know, <laughs> so, so far. Okay, they weren't kings, for one thing. They weren't kings at all. And there weren't just three of them. <laughs> I mean, there's three gifts. Uh, but you know, I'm hoping to give my wife more than three gifts. So that's one of me can give a man. No, there's probably a whole entourage of these magi. Um, what's going on here? Obviously, this has been 
this is uh, an unexpected sight. It is, it's been 400 years since the last prophet spoke. 400 years of silence. Matthew has started his gospel with a genealogy, laying out how Jesus is the, the, the son of David. The time is an interesting time for there's a lot of speculation at this time that there would be a great ruler that would come. That was speculation not just in Judah among the teachers there, but even in other parts of the Middle East. Expectation of some ruler would come from Judah. We meet, of course, the, 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 the different people in there. Of course, you have the Magi. We'll talk about them. We, we have Herod, and we have the scribes and the uh, not the Pharisees, but the, the chief priests, we think this is about 5 or 6 B.C. is when Jesus was born. We know Herod the Great came to power about uh, 37 B.C., and he dies 4 B.C. So Jesus has to be born before he dies. But So perhaps 5 or 6 B.C. Jesus is born. He's born in a place called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. It's actually, there's two places called the city of David. One is Bethlehem. That's where David lived there. Uh, Great-grandmother Ruth and Boaz. That's where they married and lived as well. The city of David. There's another city of David that's near Jerusalem, which is where David actually, when he went and where Jerusalem is, the city of David was the original We'll call it part or parcel. This is where David lived. But this is Bethlehem is where they're going. We meet, of course, Herod the king. Now, who is Herod? Herod wasn't Jewish. Well, he was maybe half, but he was mostly his son or a descendant of Esau, the Edomites, who were, well, Esau and Jacob really didn't get along, right? And their peoples didn't get along. Herod had been installed by the Senate and was made king of Judea, which is king of the Jews. When the Magi come and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's actually a Gentile way of, dis- of referring to the Messiah. The Gentile would say, you're the king of the Jews. Fast forward Pilate, king of the Jews. Over... And the Jews would call him the Messiah. Herod, of course, was Herod the Great, who was a very powerful and very not suave, um, slick, astute, uh, help me out, politics. He's a very crafty politician. Charismatic. He was a strong builder. If you ever go to Israel, you go to, first of all, the Temple Mount. The temple was rebuilt by Herod. He had taken Jeroboam's temple and added onto it and made it magnificent. Right now, you can't visit the actual temple. It was destroyed in 78 AD. But the Temple Mount is still there. We visited Temple Mount. He also built Masada, which is this fortress down by the Dead Sea in the southern dry part, similar to Arizona. This magnificent fortress, he built that. He also built Caesarea Maritima. We went to Caesarea the first day we went to Israel, right down the Mediterranean Ocean. He built all kinds of things. Fantastic builder. He was a great politician, but he was paranoid. He didn't want anyone to take his power. He had his wives killed. He had his sons killed. Anybody that was a threat to him was killed. And in fact, he ordered that on the day he died, he ordered that his soldiers and people would kill people so that at least they would have a reason to actually mourn. Because no one really is going to mourn for Herod. But if people died... So here comes 
The Magi to King Herod, paranoid King Herod. Who are the Magi? The Magi, they're from Persia originally. They were part of a priestly class from Persia. From They lived in, uh, they were from the Medo-Persian time in the 7th century BC. They were kingmakers. They, were, they served in the royal court, and the next king would be appointed by their council, their recommendation. They also were skilled in observing the stars. They mixed what we call astronomy and astrology together, and they became interpreters of the stars and interpreters of dreams. We understand that Daniel, the book of Daniel, worked with the Magi. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that he cannot interpret, and he calls the magicians and the Chaldeans to come and tell him the dream and interpret it for him. And none of the Magi could do that. They said, dream. They said Nebuchadnezzar, tell us your dream. He goes, no, guys, the, the gig's up. You tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. Then I'll, then I'll know that you're really hearing from, from somebody else, right? Oh, great king, live forever. Tell us your dream, please, you know? Hey, listen, if you don't tell me my dream and the interpretation, y'all killed. And Daniel gets word from it, and he says, hey, listen, tell the king to chill out. There's a God who can reveal things. And Daniel is revealed by God to, to Daniel, the dream. And so Daniel has an influence on these magi. These magi, of course, they're, they're experts, they're wise men, they're dream interpreters, the tradition says there was three. You know, that's why my nativity scene on my piano has three kings, right? Casper and Balthazar and uh, Macaror. They're, they're, they're supposedly the sons of Noah, but there's, not, there's an entourage. The Magi were powerful people. And for the Magi to show at the scene, and the Scripture says in verse 1 that they went... And it says, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, and what the word really means is they kept on saying, they're asking, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They're looking for the Messiah. Now the other person I want, we want to meet, of course, real fast, is the chief priest and the scribe. The chief priest and the scribes were experts in the Old Testament law, in scripture, in theology. Uh, the Herod has to consult with them and say, Where's the Mess- what's the deal with the Messiah? And they know their Bible, right? The chief priests were appointed, actually, for life. At this time, the chief priests were appointed, and it became very political. Uh, you have Annas and Caiaphas, who are father and son-in-law, who are appointed, and they are, they are, they are there. And, of course, they're trying to get in and be, make good with the political rulers at that time, at that time with the, the, the Roman rulers, and so we see the Magi coming in and asking, and I just love this in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, how did they know to look for Jesus? Now, by the way, time out. Just give you a second here. I'm going to give a little teaching right now. And then we're going to get to, 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 to worshiping our Lord, okay? So just, just stay with me, okay? How do they know? How do they know to even be looking Go to Numbers chapter 24 real fast. This is going to lay a little groundwork. Numbers 24. They had to have been familiar with some of the Scripture. We know that Daniel would have taught them various things of the Scripture. We know that he would have had an influence. In fact, 
there would have been a large Jewish population in Babylon because of the export, uh, the deportation, and these large Jewish populations stayed there. And Babylon was later taken over by the Medes and Persians, so they were there. And in Numbers 24, a prophet for hire, who's not, who wasn't a true prophet, but he was hired to curse Israel. His name is Balaam, and he can't curse Israel because God prevents him, and God puts different prophecies and words in his mouth. And in verse 15, look at Numbers 24, 15, it says, Then he took of his discourse the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is uncovered, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who beholds the visions of the Almighty, falling down yet having his eyes open. Here it is, verse 17. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall arise from Israel. Maybe just read the next, uh, continue. And shall crush the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. And Edom, Herod is an Edomite, shall be his possession. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall arise from Israel. They, I think, were aware of this scripture. They're aware that there's going to be a king who's coming from Judah. Now go back to Matthew. The Magi come. And he says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. What did they see? Now, this people have speculated over the years of exactly what they saw. Here's what ha- they had to have seen, okay? Let me just explain here. They had to be something they could see from where they live. They were on the lookout for it. Something that had to be signifying to them that says, okay, there's a king in Judah, but it had to be something that they could follow along the way, that would lead them along the way. And not only that, something that had to actually lead them from where they're at in Jerusalem to an actual dwelling place, a house where the Messiah lived. And you say, well, what kind of star can do that? A supernatural one, I think. So some, some speculate that there was an alignment of planets that happened in 6 or 7 B.C., of Jupiter and Saturn and Mars or something like that in the constellation. Jupiter stood for the, the Babylonian deity, and Saturn, according to Babylonian uh, astrologers, they thought that Saturn was the star of, 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 of Judah. Why? Because why do we call Saturday Saturday? But it's Saturn Day, and they say, well, the Jews have a Sabbath on Saturday. So they thought that Jupiter or Saturn was their star. So perhaps it's that, right? Okay, so maybe it's maybe that happened in six or seven. We'll, go, we'll give a little check mark for that, right? The Chinese reported seeing a supernova in four BC, but that's too that's too late, right? Because Herod's already dying in four BC, and you know when he's searching for Jesus, Jesus has to be one or two years old. So it can't be the supernova. It can't be Halley's comet because that comes way too early at twelve BC. I think it has to be a supernatural environment. It has to be something like the Shekinah glory that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Pillar of fire by day and a cloud by, or cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led them. It had to be something they, they saw initially that got them on the journey. And then after they inquired of Herod, it reappears and leads them to the actual house. Now, if I live in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are about five miles away. So 
let's say Phoenix Glendale. Okay, if I say that star's over my house, you go to Glendale and say, no, it's over my house, right? How can you tell if Jupiter and Saturn are really over? You can't tell that. It's too far away. You can go to, I mean, go to San Diego. It's still over my house, you know? <laughs> Curvature of the earth. There were no flat earthers back then, but yeah, I mean, there were. This is a supernatural side now that God decides to, appear, to show to them. Uh, the Greek and Hebrew words for the stars could also be used representative of great brilliance or radiance. And we understand because his, his star is appearing in Jacob. This is what I think. I think it's a supernatural event. It leads them along the way. This is interesting because the Magi are Gentile. You say, what's the big deal? Jesus came as Messiah, not just for the Jews, for the, for the Gentile. Well, how do you know that? Well, look at, look at chapter 1, Matthew. Okay, watch this. Matthew starts his, his chapter 1 with this statement. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? Abraham. David, the son of Abraham. Why is that important? Because the son of David, would, the Messiah, would be the son of David, and he would sit on the throne. Then you read a bunch of names, right? Watch this. Skip on down to um, verse 17 of that first chapter. Then all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. You see that? Am I boring you already? Okay, because I'm just getting warmed up. And thank God there's no clock in here. And the Cardinals game starts a little late today, doesn't it? Two o'clock, okay. Okay, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. From David to the deportation of Babylon are 14. And from the deportation of Babylon to Christ are 14. Now, why is that significant? Jesus, the son of David, 14, 14, 14. Why is that big? Okay, just a little side note. David's name in Hebrew is David, Dawid, right? All right? And if you add up the letters of his name, it adds up to 14. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dot, that's four. Hey, Vav, that's six. Four. Four, six, four is 14. Matthew is saying he's the son of David, Ding, 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 ding. 14, 14. The number of David all point to the Jesus and Messiah. And then they comes and Magi are like, we're here to find the Messiah, but we're Gentile. Why is that interesting? Because even the genealogy has Gentile people and Jesus' genealogy. Ruth, for once, is a Moabite. She's not Jewish. So here comes the Magi coming, go back to chapter 2, to worship the king, oh my goodness, we're going to get there in a second. What, look, let's just look at here, look at this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Look at verse 2. For we saw his star in the east and have come to what? Worship him. What does that mean to worship? To worship. It's what we do on Sunday mornings, right? It is hopefully what we do with our very lives. So worship it's the word proskuneo. It means from uh, two words. Pros means toward, and koneo means to kiss toward, to kiss the feet, to kiss toward, and later it means to lay prostrate before one greater than you. We have come to worship. We have come to kiss the feet, the hem of the garment of the one who is to be honored. Matthew uses the word many times, like ten or fourteen times, I think it is. And a couple of them I'm going to read. One is after. Look at verse chapter fourteen. Look at chapter fourteen. Oh boy. I better hurry up because I got like 18 more pages of notes to get through. Okay, chapter 14. You guys with me? 
Jesus walks in the water. They're afraid that it's a ghost. They're afraid of the winds and the wave. And they, they take him on. And look, uh, look at uh, verse 33. After he comes into the boat, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are truly God's son. Here's Jesus coming in at night. They're struggling. It's winds of, the winds and the waves. And Jesus is walking on water. They think it's a ghost. They're afraid. Jesus said, Hey, hey, it's me. It's okay, guys. They come out and they're like, You are the son of God. You are the son of God. That's what they do. Later on, of course, they worship Christ uh, throughout all of Matthew and also in chapter 28 when they see him after the, the resurrection. They worshiped him. Now, go back to Matthew 2. You guys with me still? Let me just show you what Matthew is doing here. And I'll just, I'll just get to the chase right here. Here's what Matthew's doing in this section. He is contrasting different ways of worship. Okay? You have three different ways of worship found in this passage here. One, you have, res- well, let's call it resistant worship. That is Herod. He is the resistant worshiper. He doesn't really want to worship, right? Look, at, look back at, at chapter 2. You guys with me? They hear that the Messiah is coming. Look at his reaction. Look at verse 3. Herod the king heard this and he was troubled. He was troubled. And by, by the way, it says all Jerusalem with them. They are afraid of him. Because they knew that there would be, if there was a threat to Herod, he would just go off and go postal on everybody, right? But then look what it says here in verse 8. Herod sends the, uh, the Magi to Bethlehem and says, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. You're a liar. You don't really want to worship him. Why? Because you want to retain your power and your control and any threat to you, you want to put away. And so you come to Jesus as if you are a true worshiper, but you're resistant because you don't want Jesus to be on the throne of your life. You want to stand in control of your life and any threat to that you want to do away with. You're not really a true worshiper. You're a resistant worshiper. You may go to church. You may participate in things, but your heart is not really truly God's. You are your own God. And so you fight against God. I thought you were talking about Herod. I was. To to Herod, Jesus is a threat to his position. And that's why a lot of people don't really follow Jesus, because he's a threat to them. You're not really in control of your life. You think you are, but you're not in control of your life. And you don't deserve to be on the throne of your life. There is someone greater than you, that's better than you, that's kinder than you, that's more... Get off your throne. Nobody here. That's the resistant worshiper, right? Who wants to keep their power, keep their control. They want to be admired. They want to sh- they, they'll show up to church sometimes, but their heart is far from God. They'll go through the motions, but their heart... Is that you? Is anyone here today that's a resistant worshiper of God? I hope not. You were made for more than that. It's too stressful to be on the throne of your life. I don't know about you. You know, I'm getting to the age right. I'm, I'm glad I can still remember how to tie my shoes. But I don't have shoe tying shoes anymore. I just have slip-ons, you know? <laughs> I, I don't have the... the my, my mind doesn't work as well as it used to be, Right? Some of us are, are gods of our, our minds and our thinking and our abilities, our gifts. We think, oh, we're so powerful. Yeah, you'll come today when you have lost it all. Nebuchadnezzar 
was the king of all kings on the earth, and then he lost his mind. Until he came to the point where his reason returned to him, and, and he says, God is the one that's on the throne. I'm nobody compared. If he wanted, he could turn me into somebody eats grass and lives in the wilderness and grows his nails long and can't, you know, he walks into supercuts and gets his nails trimmed. So that's the first worshiper. That's the first. The second worshiper is the indifferent worshiper. That's the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests. Look at this. Herod says, hey, where is he who is to be born to Christ? Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. This is what the prophet said. Bethlehem, land of Judah, you're not the least among the leaders because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Why is it the Magi who came from miles and miles away who don't even have the scripture, they have some scripture maybe from Daniel's teaching, they understand you know, numbers, but they came to Jerusalem. Why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Why? Because they didn't have Micah 5.2 at their hands. The scribes and the, and the chief priests did. And they're sitting there, and here comes these, this entourage of these foreigners coming. Where's the Messiah? Yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. See you later. And they sit there, and they're indifferent to Jesus. They're indifferent to God. They know God's word, they know God's will, and they don't worship God. They're indifferent. Perhaps they failed. Perhaps it's become old hat. Perhaps the gospel has become dull to them. Perhaps the good news has become so familiar that, yeah, we've been there, done that. Go move on to the next thing. Is that you today? Is anyone here that's an indifferent worshiper? Things have become predictable or the awe and the wonder of God is gone from you. That's why Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, you know children? They're in, they're in awe of everything, right? Don't you miss when you were a kid or miss when your kids were kids? I mean, I, I love my son. My son is here and I love his age too, but I love when he was a little boy. The awe and the wonder. Have you become indifferent to God? You think you have it all figured out, but you know something? You've lost sight of God because if you behold God, you can't do anything but worship Him. Amen? These are the indifferent ones. They've lost their sight of the greatness and goodness of God, and they stop believing. Maybe the worries of the world, maybe the distractions, maybe everything has gotten away of what they're supposed to do. And here they have a privilege to say, hey, they point them to Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but they don't go along and follow with him and Magi and say, let's go with you and let's worship him. They, they're saying, see you later. The scribes and many of the Pharisees, not all of them, were like that throughout Jesus. Because why? Jesus didn't fit their bill and expectation of what God should be doing. He should kick the Romans out, right? He's supposed to be a powerful Messiah. No, he's the Messiah who will change your heart and your life. And that's what you really need. You need a Messiah who will cleanse you of your sin and get you off your self-righteous throne is what you need. The scribes and Pharisees, that's why you're indifferent. Herod, the resistant worshiper, the scribes and the chief priests, the indifferent worshiper. But then you have the true worshipers, the magi, those with the willing hearts. You see that? Now, how did the magi worship? I'm going to go through a list here, okay? Because we're going to learn how did they worship, because there's a lesson for how they worshiped, and then we're going to look at why. We're going to look at how they worshiped and why they worshiped, okay? All right, put on your seatbelts. 
We're going. We're going to town here. First of all, they were seeking for the Messiah. How do you know? Why? Because for 400 years, during that gap between any of the Old Testament, beginning of the New, there was, a, there was a thought that there was coming a Messiah. And every time they looked up, they realized that someday there will become a star. Something will show up. And they looked. One day they looked and they saw a star that something had signified to them that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was born in Judah. They were looking. That's how you worship. You look. You search for him. Where is he who was born according to the... Where is he? Is he here? Is he there? Is he there? They were searching. The Greek tent says it's a present participle that indicates a constant looking. Where is he? Where is he? Is that your life? Are you looking to worship Jesus Christ? It was all-encompassing. Everything. So they, they saw the star and they packed their bags. They didn't see the star and say, oh, that's good for them. You know, that's good. God bless those. They realized that that king in Judah had something to do with them, right? They realized that he was king of the Jews, and that king would grow up and become a great king over the whole world. He realized that that was a real king. See, back home, those magi would appoint kings, and they would say, we think, we think this guy and that guy, but that, that king over there... We haven't chosen him. We're going to go and worship him. They didn't worship their kings they selected, but they're going to go and worship the true king, Jesus Christ. They worshiped him with eagerness and expectation. Look what it says in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Watch this. For we saw his star in the east. We saw the faith, in the blackness of the sky, we saw this glimmer of this, this light that told us something. Okay, we had the light of God's word. They only had a light in the sky. And guess what they did? They responded to that light. You know, for people who live in darkness, great darkness, one little flicker of light is all they need. We, we've been living in light, haven't we, as Christians? We're blinded by the light. In one sense, I don't like to say that, but you know what I'm saying? We're, we're so used to it. Let us not. Let us not have the Magi show us up. One little flick of, of speck in the, in the sky, and they pack their bags, and they don't book a flight. They go walking and traveling on camels, and they don't have any guarantees that they'll get there. And they go for miles and miles and miles, and that's all because they saw something in the sky. Would it be that our worship was like that? That we woke up every day looking and expecting to see Christ? They came with diligence. They said, we saw his star and we have come. We're finally here. And in one sense, what they see is a symbol of, of what Christians, our life ought to be that journey, right? Every day looking, there's Jesus. Every day looking, there's you. And we already found him, right? We, don't, we have something greater than, than a speck of light in the sky, but our response ought to be the same. We have come for this one purpose. Here it is, to worship him. One purpose, to worship him. How did they worship? With purpose. And who were they worshiping? Watch this, their exclusivity. Watch verse 2. We saw his star and have come to worship who? Him. Don't worship anyone else. Watch this, skip on down in verse 11. Look at verse 11. And coming into the house... Remember, this is two year, a year or two years after the birth in the manger, which is a feeding trough. Now they're in the house, and Mary's there with Joseph, and, and Jesus is one or two years old. And they come into the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. 
And they fell down and worshiped who? Mary? No, they worshiped him. He deserves worship, exclusivity. Amen? Amen? Amen. Their heart was sincere. It was all-encompassing. And they came and they surrendered themselves to Christ. Look what it says. They came and they worshiped him. That's what they did. They came, they laid their stuff on the ground. I'm getting out of the camera view. And they laid down on the ground as the full expression of their worship. See, some people, sometimes we just worship. You know, I worship mentally sometimes. But this is an and all this is a full contact sport, right? This is a whole thing. Your your mind, your your heart, your soul, your body is involved in the worship. And it's not just on Sunday mornings, but now it's every single day. Let it be that I worship God with my mind. Yes, I have evil, sinful, temptation thoughts that come on my mind. I say, Lord, let me praise and worship you and give you the thoughts of my mind. Let it be that what I do with my hands, my work, let it be as unto you, my relationships, let me treat my wife, my children, my family as unto as a testimony worship. Let it be my life as a, as a fragrant aroma of worship to Christ. Amen? They surrendered to him. That's what the first key of worship is, their surrendering of yourself. The resistant worshiper, Herod, surrender. Surrender your control. The, 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 the indifferent worshiper, scribes, surrender your indifference and look to Christ, right? You know what we do? You know what we're on Sunday mornings? We're here for one job, to worship you say, well, I can worship by myself in my house. You can't. I hope you do. I hope we all do. Privately worship God. I hope what we do at home you know, trickles into here, right? But there's something different about worshiping as a corporate body that you can't go being a lone ranger Christian, right? Because you be a lone ranger Christian, and soon enough you're, you're, out, you're lost, you're wandering, you're cold, you're indifferent, you're bitter. And it's the body of Christ. We're supposed to worship corporately. That's what we do. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to give you, I'm not here to life coach you, but sometimes life coaching can be good for, you know, I'm supposed to pastor and shepherd, but one job, we're here to worship Jesus Christ. We live in a country where we can do that. Amen. And guess what they do in countries where they can't, they find ways to meet together to worship, right? Maybe we need a little bit of that, but I hope I don't want to. I just, whatever we need that God has to do, get us to worship and take it seriously. Because people back in the day, they lost their lives when we were trying to worship the risen Savior. Amen? Wise men still seek Jesus. Amen? Those who have been in a spiritual desert, may you traverse from your spiritual hardness your spiritual unbelief and come in faith and seeking jesus with all diligence and sincerity and a surrendered heart looking to the one who's born your messiah now why do we worship jesus we don't have time to give you all the reasons let me give you a few can i do that why is jesus worthy of our worship because if i'm going to worship somebody they better be worthy of my worship because that's a big deal now, some of y'all worship man. You worship your politicians, you, wor- you worship your leaders, you worship authors or singers, entertainers. That's why, I'm sorry, but if we have a church someday, I want to have bright lights, natural lighting. I don't want to have entertainment. I want to have it where we're looking to worship Jesus. Amen? 
I don't want to be the star of the show. I don't want you guys, we don't want to be the star of the show. We want to have all glory to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Where has it happened that we become entertainer uh, seekers rather than worshipers of Christ? We've lost that. And some people come to church, they say, oh, well, you didn't have my, my checklist of what I should have. You should have this, that, and the other. And they're all like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Nothing. Well, it just meets my needs. Your need is to worship Jesus because you'll never be fulfilled if you're anything less than a worshiper of Jesus. Worship of Christ is fulfilling. You realize that? I can prove that. How do you know that? Well, look at the text. Look at the text. Because there's joy in worship. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they did what? They re- now, the Greek is very, there's like three or four words built on each other. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay, when's the last time you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? When's the last time you did that? Well, here's a reason. Every Sunday, every day, we can rejoice exceedingly with joy, great joy. Even if things go wrong in our lives and nothing goes right, that we want to go right, we can still rejoice exceedingly with great joy because Jesus Christ has not only been born, he's not a baby anymore, he's a grown man, he's risen from the dead. Here's why we worship Jesus, because he's the king of kings, amen? Yes. Pilate asked Jesus in John 18, 37, so you are a king, and Jesus says, you say correctly that I am the king. For this, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world. He is the king of Jews. And by the way, he wasn't born to be king. He was king at the time of his birth. Before he took his first breath, he was king of all creation. Amen? He is, I am the king right now. And Ben Madra, I recognize he's born king of the Jews. He's worthy. Before he takes the next breath, by by the way, he's controlling all the breath of all humanity as God Almighty before he takes his first breath as a human being. Now, that boggles my mind how that works. But he's worthy of worship. If he did anything else but just be born, that's it. He would be worthy of our worship forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He is the son of David on David's throne, as we saw in Matthew 1. The true kings. Other people call themselves king of kings. Artaxerxes, Nebuchadnezzar, and other. But Jesus Christ is worthy of the title. He is the Lamb, the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And His kingship will never end. By the way, the book of Daniel says here, here's kingdoms to come. The Babylonians, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the, the Greeks, the, the Persians, the, the Greeks, the Romans, and then a revived Roman Empire. Right? That's, he's, he looks at the history and says, here's, here's great kingdoms to come. And by the way, you know the United States is not listed in that group? Oh man, I just stepped on some fragile toes here. We're not mentioned there. Why? It doesn't matter because all of them are going to fall. Every single, even all of us, all of them are going to fall. But the, Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I am, we're slow down. By the way, I made my coffee at home this morning. <laughs> Pro tip, make your coffee home, save yourself four bucks. <laughs> right? God bless the people who work at Starbucks, but I got heavy cream in my garage, in my, in my, garage, in my, in my refrigerator. <laughs> I got sweetener. I got the same stuff they have. It tastes the same. Amen. So pro tip, save yourself some money. But Jesus Christ, he has a kingdom that will never, Daniel 2.44, in those days, the days of the king of God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And boy, is the devil trying to destroy the kingdom of God. And he has no... He can set up man kingdoms and sit down 
And the kingdom of God is growing even right now because it grows in the hearts of human beings. And every single time there's a soul that comes into the kingdom of God, Satan's throwing a fit and he's trying to resist everyone else coming in, right? Those of you who understand spiritual battle, you realize we don't battle against flesh and blood, but by, by, we battle against unseen powers. You keep praying for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors. You keep praying because you don't see what God is working in the spiritual realm. And Satan hates when we pray. Why? Because it invites God Almighty to the scene. Don't be discouraged to stop praying because you don't see anything happen. By the way, God's moving without you realizing he's moving, isn't he? And he doesn't run it by you, what he wants to do, <laughs> right, in somebody's life. Because his ways are above my ways, right? You keep trusting. You keep believing. You keep hoping. You don't give up because God is working. You'll look back and say, I didn't realize what God did from there to there. All glory to him, amen? By the way, I'm asking, why is Jesus worthy of worship? And uh, what time is it? I have 62 reasons, but I'm not going to go through them all. (laughs) Oh boy. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Here's why I praise Him, worship Him, because He's the Savior of sinners. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Where has sin gone? God bless that lady, bring her in, have her the gospel, right? He's the Savior of sinners, and salvation is in no one else, for is in no other name under heaven which, by which men may, must be saved, only by Jesus Christ. Not only is he the Savior of sinners, he's actually the one who searches out and looks for you. If you've wandered off, how many of you guys have been lost before? You've been lost, or you've wandered off from God, and somehow God sent somebody to lead you. I sent his, his sheepdog called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a dog. But the one that, that would lead you back to the fold. God is searching for you. If you're wandered off, you were a worshiper of God and you wandered off, God is sending somebody. He is searching out for you himself. He's the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. He's the giver of life. He's the Lamb of God. The Scripture says that he is worthy as a lamb. Worthy. That's what they're all singing in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. Who's a sinner here? And how many have found Jesus to be your friend? You say, I don't, I don't deserve anyone to be my friend. I'm a terrible sinner, but Jesus has been my friend. Why? Because he laid down his life for me. You may have a lot of friends that you think are close and good, but not one of them will... Do what Jesus did for you. And maybe they're great. And there's friends that stick closer to their brother and Jesus. He loves us more than anyone else. He, more, he, know, he loves us more than our mom and dad. Mom and dad love you very much. Well, they did if, they're still, if they were not around. But they love you very much. Or your husband, your wife, your, your daughter, your, your son. They all love you. But Jesus, that's a whole other level. I worship him because he gave his life and he knows me. He's my friend. Oh, my goodness. He's the one that sets the captives free. According to Luke 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the poor, to the poor the gospel and set me to proclaim the release to the cop- captives. If you've ever been in bondage, in spiritual bondage, you've been trapped, you've been unable to get out, and Jesus Christ is the one who has the key to unlock. That's why he's worthy of worship. right? 
you were a prison in the prison doors and the, the doors open and Jesus lets you out and you say, I am following you forever. Here's the man who was possessed by a thousand demons who had no way of escape. A thousand demons. He was stuck, the poor soul. Everyone gave up on him. Modern medicine, all religiosity gave up and they, they, they throw him away in another part of, of Israel. And here's Jesus makes a beeline for that man and he sets the man free and the man wants to follow Jesus. Jesus, hey, Go home and tell, tell your family, your friends of what great things. And he became a worshiper of, Je- a worshiper of Jesus because Jesus set him free. Amen. Amen? I can tell I'm boring you already. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's why it is good news. Amen? Amen? It is wonderful news. Jesus the way and the truth of life. He is the door. He's the one who makes the broken whole. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He's the giver of peace. He's gentle and humble and kind and patient. And He's good. He is God with us, Emmanuel. I probably could have done like 60-part messages on this thing, but I just want to give praise to God. The Magi come, and they worship with, with an utter surrender and a recognition of Jesus Christ, of who He is going to be and who He is. Jesus Christ is the light in darkness. If you live in darkness, Jesus Christ is the light. To some people, we don't understand, but when you... When you understand what it is to live apart from Christ and live in darkness, and suddenly there's, some, there's a change that happens because of visitation by Jesus, you realize the difference. If you're so used to living in darkness and a bright light shines, there's something radically different when you meet Jesus. This is not just words I'm telling you. This is truth, right? He's worthy of worship because He Himself is God's salvation. He Himself is the light of the world. He is the wonderful counselor. He is my advocate before the Father because when I sin, I need somebody to stand in my place and say, that's my son, that's my child. He is my defense when I am accused. I don't know about you, but I get accusations from the enemy all the time, spiritual attack. And sometimes I can't define myself, but Jesus Christ is my defense. He is my shield, right? He is my sword. He is my helmet of salvation. He is my breastplate of righteousness. By the way, I am wearing robes of His righteousness. If that's not enough, I, I give you enough reasons to praise the Lord for the next half a year, okay? The Magi had one. He's the King of the Jews, right? That's all they needed. They had one flicker of light in the sky, and they responded with worship. Let it be that we are worshipers like the Magi, but on a whole nother level. Let it be that we go back home and tell others about Jesus, the one who, who makes our life have purpose. In fact, Romans says, for him and through him and to him are all things. Your life is from him. And it's to him, it's through me. He is the purpose of my life and existence. You say, well, I'm, I am unworthy to worship Jesus. No, 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 no. He cleanses even the darkest of sins. He saves even the vilest of sinners. Paul says, 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. And I'm talking on Paul's coat and saying, no, Paul, I'm, I'm worse than you. Well, let's join together, Paul. I worship Jesus because even the most vilest, darkest, worst of all sinners, even ones who are so gone, he can save and rescue. We're not going to go to heaven and say, look at what I did to get here. We're going to say, look what Jesus did for me, amen? Jesus rescued me. Jesus gave me hope. He made me alive. I was dead, and he made me alive. I was broken, and he made me whole. Jesus is the ones that the angels worship, right? They're in awe. Worthy is a lamb. Holy, 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 right? And he's the one that the demons fear. Not right now, Jesus. Are you, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Are you come to destroy us now? They're afraid of him. Why are they afraid? Because they recognize who Jesus really is. Let it be that my heart is not different to that, Michelle. Let it be that I'm appreciative of all he's done. Let it be that I don't have this, 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 this resistant worship and says, I'm not, I'm not going to worship because I'm, I don't want to be weird. <laughs> Let it be that my heart is full of joy and expectation and thankfulness and gratitude. And yeah, I'll be looking weird, but the world needs some weirdness, doesn't it? The world needs something that's different. They don't want Christians to comply to their measure. Like we've already done that world. Why, Christians, why are you trying to look like us? Give us something different. We have a real God to worship. The world worships their gods. They're on stage every concert you go to is a worship event. No offense. And every Sunday morning that we watch football on, on, on the stadium, that's a worship event. Why? Come on. We, yay, praise. And I love my cardinals. I love my bills. Right? Let's just be real. Some of us are more devoted to our football team than we are to Jesus. Nobody here, maybe, but I don't know. <laughs> Let it be that we go berserk, praising and worshiping Jesus. And people say, well, I, got, I want what you have. I want the Jesus you have. You're different. You're not one of those holy roller types, are you? What if we were? <laughs> you know? Bless the Lord. He is worthy, isn't he? He brings us to the Father. He explains the Father to us, and he's proof of the Father's love. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Praise the Lord. We worship with the Magi, the Savior, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, who gave his life for us, who's our shepherd. Lord, we praise you right now. Let's, let's just praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you and praise you, Lord. These are just some reasons, but each one of us, Lord, has our own testimony of why we worship you, God. You, you were, you're worthy of worship even if you did nothing other than die on the cross for our sins, but you did a whole lot more, Lord. You changed our lives. And maybe there's some of us here in this room or some watching online who are contemplating, they're standing off, they're indifferent, and God, the Holy Spirit, is calling them to become worshipers. Hey, guess what? It is fun, Father, to worship you. It is joyous. Our life is fulfilled when our life is surrendered and worshiped to you. And let it be our life that, that what comes to our mouth is certain praise that's sincere, but our own very lives, as Paul says, that let our, our lives, our bodies be as, a, as an act of service and worship to you, Lord. You are worthy of it. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, call more of us to be worshipers of you. Purify our worship, Lord. 
help us to be light in the dark world that we go among. Our neighbors, our friends, our, our, our co-workers, Lord, they're looking for somebody to follow. Let it be that we are like that star that points the direction to Christ. God, let us join with that Magi on that journey in our life, seeking and searching to worship Jesus Christ. We praise you, we love you, we bless you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Let's stand up. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? Oh, praise his name. Amen. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> How could you not be, right? I, those of you guys know me, I'm very introverted. You understand? I, this, this, I get, I, this saves up, right? And I, I'm like, that's the Lord. I, I got to bottle it up, you know. And, uh, but you know, God's good. And he, guess what? He's made each one of us unique. He's made each one of us be worshipers in a unique way. Let it be that we contribute with that choir, you know, with our voices, with our lives. I pray that we would recognize those of you around the fence, maybe, he's worth worshiping. Worship is like worship, so to speak, right? He's worthy of it. And you won't find any satisfaction in life apart from becoming worshippers, God. You might find cheap, you know, entertainment and thrills, but nothing will fulfill you until you walk in the purpose that God has called you, and that is to be a worshiper of God. And people will say, I, no, I want that. And if they don't, you just go on your merry way. They'll get it later on. Well, I pray the Lord blesses you, and He keeps you, and He makes His face to shine upon you as you worship Him. That, and I lost my train of thought on the, on the whole thing, right? And be gracious to you. <laughs> And that he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's my prayer for you in Jesus' name. And let us look to Jesus. And yeah, he's your friend. He's your savior. He loves you very much. Go in, go in, in God's love and peace. And we will see everyone, Lord willing, next Sunday, Christmas Eve. All right, praise the Lord. Or Friday at the movie night. All right, God bless you guys. Movie night. It's a wonderful life.